You're listening to the Weekly Wrap-Up on Sprott Money News. Welcome back to the Sprott Money News. It's SprottMoney.com Weekly Wrap-Up. It is Friday, April 23rd, 2021. I'm your host, Craig Hemke. As you know, Eric has been on a hiatus for a couple of months now, and he we hope to have him back soon. In, the, in his place, we've had a, some great guest hosts that have been happy and willing to join us, and I've got a brand new one for you this week. Gentleman's name is Paul Wong. Paul is a market strategist for Sprott Inc. He's got more than 30 years investment industry experience, specializing in investment analysis for natural resource investments. Hey, Paul, this is great fun to get to know you. Thank you for joining me for this week's weekly wrap up. Great. Thank you, Craig. Hey, and most folks know, you know, we, we put this on multiple platforms, YouTube and Spotify, Apple, all the rest. If you like our content, whether it's the monthly metals projections with Chris Vermeulen or the Ask the Expert segment or these weekly wrap-up segments, please be sure to share, like, and subscribe to whichever channel you're listening to today. And of course, always keep Sprott Money in mind whenever you're looking for physical metal. You can call us at 888-861-0775. Of course, just go to SprottMoney.com to find out more information on precious metal and storing precious metal with us too, safely and securely. Uh, Paul, let me uh, just kind of dive right in here. We're at a very interesting point in the precious metals. I mean, they've been in this consolidation phase, well, at least gold has in particular for the last seven months or so, pulling back farther than maybe some of us thought. Looking like uh, we've got some life here, bouncing off of some support down below 1700 Just in a broad sense, uh, how do you see the, the metals at this point? Uh, for the most part, yeah, we're, we were dramatically oversold. Um, there was a probably, there was a number of factors uh, involved and it has a lot to do with positioning and flows. So if I can back up quite a bit. So the last five years, there's, there's been this, you know, unrelenting flow into what I call the, the long duration trade. And that's predicated on sort of this, uh, you know, this economic, this Goldilocks, economic background of slow inflation and so you know it cultivated with the uh, the big uh, you know the big blowout in um, the fang names so when when covid hit there was a huge migration of flows into into what i call you know the long duration trade uh the poster child for that would be the fang names so you know facebook amazon apple microsoft google it got up to about 24% of the total S&P weight. And that, that was one of, you know, one of the greatest concentrations ever in, in only a handful of names. You know, that was predicated on, the, again, the notion that we were going to be in this very long, protracted, almost no growth environment. Great high risk, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, you want to go into this, uh, this area of, of secular growth. So what's happened? So let's back a little bit more to about a year ago. So central banks around the world basically launched probably you know the greatest stimulus monetary and fiscal package ever seen. So that stabilizes the market. Next thing you had, you had the big breakthrough in, in the vaccine breakthrough. So signs that you know markets could head towards a normalization. And thirdly. A democratic sweep in the U.S. ushering in you know, these huge rounds of, of fiscal stimulus. So, 
investors were forced from one end of the pendulum back to the other. So when, when, so when all that happened, especially the, the, the election results and the vaccine news, everyone was basically on, on, on the wrong side of the trade. And so everyone started migrating back to the cyclical reflation story. And the problem you had was that, uh, again, because of the nature of flows, it's you get this disproportionate swing, and, and gold, you know, got, got caught into that into that positioning, you know, trap, and so it, it got hammered down probably a lot more than it should have. Again, only because of flows, and into February, March, you know, we had the bond yield market basically just implode. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Q1. Uh, performance was the worst in 30 years. And there, there were a lot of extraordinary items to that. Uh, one uh, complicating all that was the, the Bank of Japan, Japanese insurance companies, other f- financial service co- companies. They were into the year end and they were very long uh, U.S. bonds. So they, you know, they, they, they bought into the, uh, the bond yield collapse into the COVID response. But they have a fiscal year end of March, so they were forced to sell. And so they, they pushed that down. There was the banker deal, the dealers, bond dealers. They were a long product, uh, bond product, but they were also very worried about the SLR, which was you know the, the uh, uh, you know the, the loan ratio. So they were worried that you know there would be changes, and basically you know there would be a, they were facing a wall of selling on the bond. So they liquidated that into February. Uh, portfolio manager again. Back to that reflation trade, they were super long uh, bear, into bear steep in the trades, and I just found out now that on a positional basis, they were anywhere from about two to three standard deviations, you know, net short bonds. So that that mm. created that big spike in bond yields. So mm-hmm. into end of the quarter, you, you have a lot of things reversing. All of a sudden, you, know, you have quarter position end clearing for the for the Japanese. The dealer stopped selling. Uh, positional traders are highly extended. They reposition for Q2. Markets now thinking about okay, we're, we you know we're, we pretty much discounted most of that that uh, recovery phase of the market where you know boats all boats lift right everything goes up doesn't matter everything goes up and now we're probably migrating into that expansionary phase. Markets become more nuanced, so positioning changes quite a bit. But for gold, what what I see right now is probably in in the um, in the short term, probably more of a, a range trading. I, I think we got way, way oversold. You know, we, we've now recapped it. And so right now, the, um, the struggle with gold is the bond market is discounting a normal Fed response, like a normal Fed policy. Like, you know, pretty much like this is, a, this they'll do exactly the same they did the last time. They'll, um, they'll, they'll start, you know, they'll start the taper and then they'll start to raise rates. The problem you have now is that huge difference, right? So, yeah. um, in a span of less than a span of about roughly a year, there's over five trillion dollars in uh, in fiscal spending with very little, you know, taxation. So that that gets added to debt. So debt to GDP is somewhere in the neighborhood of 105 to 110 percent. So post World War II levels. Now the question becomes, you know, how do you normalize with debt to GDP at such an extraordinary high level? Can you do it? If you do do it, because of the leverage situation, any shock that comes by is disproportionate because you're, you're, you're so leveraged. So you, you face that dilemma. So, you know, the Fed challenge is, okay, how do we taper and actually raise rates in the face of that kind of level of debt? 
And that's that's the challenge. That's very difficult. It seems to me and also to many other market observers is that the playbook is actually probably back to what we saw back in World War II, right. back to some sort of form of yield control. And that, that makes the most sense because what you need to do is you need to bring down that debt to GDP level. So the last time the Fed tried to do that, you know, the, the big uh, tapering pause, you know, 2017, 18, whatever, I think debt to GDP was somewhere around 80% when they tried it. Right now we're like close to 110. So how do you get to that level? Uh, the only way to do this is basically more stimulus, i.e. add more debt to try and grow your, your economy. So you can see the, the conundrum you're in. For every dollar of debt I put into the market, can I get more than a dollar's worth of GDP growth? If I can't, then I, I, dig, a digger, I dig a deeper hole. Mm-hmm. But we've been doing this for, I don't know, how, you know, since 08. We've been digging deeper and deeper. All you have to do is look at uh, all you have to do is look at the the amount of uh, central bank balance sheet growth that's been there. Debt's been running, I think, about eight and a half annualized since 08, and GDP is absolutely nowhere near that level. You know, it's it's multiples of GDP. So that's that's the problem you're in right now. So what makes the most sense is that eventually um, you get to the point where the, the Fed will probably have to come, and whether it's wham, you know, you know, weighted average maturity extension. Operation twist, those are kind of the uh, lower scale tweaks you can do to try and cap rates. And, you know, the big hammer would be yield curve control. But as you, you know, but you can probably see, you know, where they're going to go. You're going to try and see if they can get GDP growth growing, basically try and reduce some of that debt to GDP level first. Any sense of stall that bring in WAM, sorry, weighted average maturity extensions, or uh, a twist type operation, and if things go really south and sour on them, then, then you bring in yield curve control. And that, based on what that happens, yeah, it will, will go a lot higher. And and we've got but, the next, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Paul. I just was going to no, throw no, out no that the next FOMC meeting is next week. Yep. Yeah, you're, you're probably too early to even talk about, you know, you'll, you know, twist or you'll, you know, weighted average maturity extension, you know, the, you know, right now there, there, there actually isn't any talk about you know, the market. As they said, is, is discounting the fact that the Fed will uh, taper and raise rates. And the, again, the problem you have is that the economy is is it's getting better and better, but you're not at the point. You're not you, you haven't reached that point of escape velocity where you can all of a sudden you know openly talk about tapering. And, and lifting rates, even if you're te- you know, even if you're telegraphing this move years you know, down the road, it's just too soon for that. But the market's already priced that in. So you know, you see gold when it got below seventeen hundred. That that was a lot of confluence of factors that I that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And that's that's extremely overdone. Uh, there's a technical resistance level around right, right around eighteen hundred right now. So I'm guessing we'll probably bounce between that level and 1765 if you look at the charts you'll see that's roughly the neckline of a double bottom that gold put in and we'll probably bounce along there um, i have a slightly higher target around 1840 1850 that's the target of, of the uh, double bottom projection but into into the august um august seasonality patterns typically i expect to see a stronger august and again what that Likely trigger will be that 
you know, the economic numbers we'll see to about roughly about the end of May. It's because of the base effects. So a year ago, things were just so, so bad. The numbers are going to look so, so good. You know, right. You, you know, you see these year over year change numbers, like, you know, on the headline, it's, it's, it's eye catching. Like, Oh my God, it's incredible. But you know, because the base is so low, but what you'll see is that once we get through May, those year-over-year changes will start to ameliorate, and it won't be as eye-catching. And typically into August, that's typically your, your seasonal period. You know, for elevated risk, liquidity shrinks, uh, a lot of other factors going on that typically triggers the gold rally. So I'm looking for a gold rally in, sometime in the August period, and we'll see how far it gets from there and then, and then after that. But that's the short-term picture, longer-term. Longer term is still bullish. It's yeah. um, it, it's hard not to paint a bullish longer term picture for gold. It's this wild trading that we've experienced in the marketplace, like you know, pandemics to twenty trillion in, in you know ten sorry ten trillion in, in you know central bank stimulus, vaccine breakthroughs, democratic sweeps. I mean, it, it's amazing the the amount of movement you're seeing in the marketplace. And the excess flow of liquidity, uh, we're, we're seeing Bitcoin looks like it's putting in a, a top today. But to me, Bitcoin is, is a is is probably the ultimate expression of you know excess liquidity and you know market exuberance. Back to gold, Paul. Did you mention capping long-term rates, whether overtly or covertly or through job owning, and you widen out that difference, that real interest rate, the difference between the nominal ten-year and the CPI with the as you mentioned, the numbers from last year, last March, last April coming off the board, the CPI now is running even that printed number at 2.6. We are now back to the same level of negative rates on the 10-year that we were last August. Do you think that's a market inefficiency in that the price of gold was $300 higher last August? Uh, no, I, th- I think there's a number of factors. Like Real rates are, are important, um, but it's not, it's not the only you know factor sure. that can explain the movement in gold is interrelation between real rates and currency as well. So you can see the U.S. dollar has been weakening quite considerably, and it's you know it's very close to you know touching the lows again. Mm-hmm. There's an interplay there, uh, but if you want to get into the into the weeds, you know look at the uh, uh, look at I look at the tips curve. Yep. The tips curve is basically you know the, the short end is is obviously you know it's collapsing. It's 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 going into uh, into you know it's more negative now than it was back in the summertime. People tend to look at the um, at the more at the ten year that that is important. But you know to get a little bit more color, you, know, you should probably also look at the uh, the entirety of the curve. And the curve it, it continues to collapse. It's 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 going deeper negative, and it's it's really it's it's part and parcel of what, what the Fed needs to do. I mean it, it's. You're into how do you handle this debt? It's debasement, right? So you know if you're if you're targeting two percent inflation, that means an average of two percent or higher. You know, again, this this is their language over you know a period of time, which is you know they don't specify, and you have interest rates set at zero. Yeah, you're looking at negative two percent. That's that's what the Fed is promising. It's they're promising you a negative two percent return. And that's debasement. So they're trying to, you know, they're actively debasing the currency of their debt, the U.S. dollar. Yeah. It, it, I mean, I, it doesn't get more clear than that. Right. 
and it, and it has to stay there because how else are you going to finance this debt? Right. Because right now, debt to GDP is 110%. So what's your interest expense going to be if you let rates rise? You can't. And, okay, so right now the Fed is they, – they have almost full control of the five-year and lower part of the curve. That, that you know, they, it's tight. Most of the funding is in the five-year or lower. But as, you know, the funding creeps up to 10, into the, into the five to tens, into the intermediate part of the curve – yeah, there's greater and greater pressure, you know, the capital's rates to, to make sure that, you know, that interest expense doesn't go higher. And the stronger, I mean, it's paradoxical, but the stronger GDP grows, the more you need to exert more downward pressure on yield. Because as GDP grows, accelerates further and further, the market wants to push yields higher and higher. But conversely, the Fed needs to push it down right. more and more. The only way to do that is you're going to try jawboning first, you know, twist or wham next. And then if it gets really problematic, then you hammer this thing with yield curve control, which is what they did back in the Second World War. Right, which is almost the final, it, to, final tool in the toolbox, because if that fails, <laughs> then what do you have? Um, yeah, I, I wrote about it. I mean, yeah, if it fails, yeah, you got a, you know, you got a serious problem. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's, you know, like... You know, I I wrote about it, but you know, it's it's kind of difficult to talk about in, you know, in, in a very short time period. But yeah, you, you can see the stresses build, right? I mean, yeah. Paul, in our remaining time, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about silver because I know we have a lot of silver investors that listen to us each week. Uh, how does silver fit into the picture? Do you see it uh, a commodity rally? And uh, what are your forecasts for silver in the months ahead? Sure, uh, silver. So silver is. Um, I'll keep it as short as I can, but silver in this part of the cycle is very unique. It, it has this unusual dual feature of not only as, as a relative store of value, but also has a cyclical component to it as well. So, you know, if you, if you look at, uh, I think I wrote in one of my reports, if you, if you look at uh, the silver-gold ratio, it, it correlates incredibly well with uh, a cyclical to defensive type equity ratio. So basically it correlates with that. So you're in a period where, it's very unusual. You're in a period where there, you know, yields have an upward pressure rise, and there's also a necessary store of value because what's going on with M2, you know, growing at, you know, 25% annualized rates or money supply blowing out debt. Uh, so that is very unusual. If you look at the charts, what you'll see in silver is silver is is maintained as this very high level type consolidation. You know, when it pulls back, it doesn't pull back very far. And it's building what I looks like to me a very large uh, pennant. So that that is a very bullish configuration. And I, I would uh, silver seasonality kicks in roughly about July. So if you look at the seasonal charts, July and August tend to be very strong. So we'll we'll see what July looks like, but I'm suspecting it, it's going to be it will be pretty good. Uh, the picture so far is as, as I said a bullish consolidation inside within a flag configuration. You know, the Reddit stuff kind of added a little bit noise to it, but if you mentally, you know, X out that kind of noise, the picture is actually, the, the chart formation is, is very positive. Looking at flows, the flows are, again, uh, they, they backed off, but it's, again, the, the whole notion is you're backing off from a very, very high consolidation level. So meaning that it doesn't really pull back very far. It just tells you there's a very, very strong base level support. Um, I think I wrote in one of the reports, there's a very large also cup and handle formation on the silver to gold ratio. 
and through the summer expect to break to break out. If you see a very strong July for silver, then it tips the scales for a uh, rally for gold. So typically gold has a seasonal rally in, in August. So I always use silver as sort of a, as a marker. Okay, if silver does really well, chances are, you know, you probably goes up. You're going to get a good fall through in gold into, un, into August as well because essentially they're kind of driven by the same seasonal fundamentals. Uh, but silver, yeah, once through thirty dollars, that's the next breakout level. That's the mm-hmm. level to watch. Mm-hmm. Through that, you're probably looking at thirty-five. Then after that, uh, it it gets really messy. It's hard to tell how f- it, the charts are very unclear as to how far you can project. You can project all you want, but yeah, it's hard to tell. But uh, typically, I don't get too far ahead of my skis. Let's let's get the thirty-first. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then let's you know thirty-five, and then we'll see how it progresses on its way to thirty-five. You know, if you see huge, you know, build an option positioning because SLV options is just enormous, right? It's probably one thing you should probably keep an eye on because that has the capability of of really lifting silver. So I, I tend to keep a sharp eye on SLV options activity. It's it's last time I checked, it's uh, it's multiples greater than than in the silver futures market itself. So it's 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 basically it's surplanted silver futures market in terms of trader activity. So hmm. let's keep an eye on that. Uh, but yeah, it, to me it's. I have a hard time seeing any any form of bearish setup for silver. I mean, it doesn't doesn't mean it's impossible, but so far, uh, since the big breakout um, about a year ago, yeah, it's been progressing nicely. It's again a very big bullish right ankle triangle wedge flag formation. Call it what you want, but it's there. It's it's just punch it up. You'll see it. It's it's yep. pretty clear. It's a nice clean clean chart pattern high consolidation level and again if you pull back the chart back you know say 10 to 12 years you'll see that it's uh, i'm going by memory so this is always dangerous but it's it's roughly the equivalent around the 1650 1600 1650 level on on gold every every few every couple quarters i i kind of refresh that chart from the monthly commentaries just to see just to show how much potential is left in silver there's, there's quite a bit yeah well, and you look at it, you think uh, it's been a challenging start to the year. That doesn't we got a long ways to go before the year is over. And uh, silver's only down one or two percent year to date compared to gold being down uh, closer to ten. So, um, very interested to see where we go from here. And I appreciate you pointing out that seasonality too. Again, f- uh, just a great discussion, Paul. Um, before we go, I do want to. Just remind everybody that Sprott Money is the sponsor of these weekly wrap-ups. If you have any questions about investing in precious metals or maybe where you can store them safely and securely, just go to SprottMoney.com, of course. You want to talk to a human being, pick up the phone. Give us a call at 888-861-0775. We're always happy to help out with any questions you might have. You can set up uh, investments for you, precious metal storage, registered accounts, uh, you can buy online through our safe, secure, and easy fast checkout process, too. Again, SprottMoney.com for all your physical metal needs. We've been speaking with Paul Wong of Sprott, Inc., and it has been great uh, to visit with you, Paul. Very good information. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you, Craig. Thank you for having me. And from all of us at Sprott Money News and SprottMoney.com, thank you for listening. Have a great weekend.